0: Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tusco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. In this episode, we're going to talk about Catherine Parr and how she managed to evade a sticky situation with Henry when his feelings against her could have gone sour very quickly, and also how the perceptions of her are changing, especially with the new movie that is out, Firebrand. Um, People are starting to see her differently. I remember when I first read my very first history book on Tudor history back in 1996, Alison Weir, Six Wives of Henry VIII. Um, she was, you know, portrayed as like the nursemaid and the one who got to take care of Henry and his dotage and everything like that. And, you know, we're starting to see her in a bit of a different light and reclaim her sort of gumptiousness and her bravery and all of that. So all good. Before we get started, though, your reminder about TudorCon. So TudorCon talk now. Of course, you know, TudorCon is happening September 8th through 10th in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. But the different thing I have to tell you today is that the streaming ticket is now available. So no matter where you are, whether you are in Auckland or Weymouth or San Francisco or, I don't know, Ronda, Spain, where I used to live, you can watch TutorCon, participate in TutorCon, be part of the group, be part of the community. There's awesome digital goodie bag that you get. Uh, on the first day, just like when people register, they get their little swag bag. You will get your own digital goodie bag on the day of uh, when it starts. You will be able to watch all of the talks live. They will all be recorded and you will also get the recordings and the transcripts as well. So you can watch live or you can also watch whenever it works for you. So englandcast.com Englandcast.com slash TudorCon online to grab your TudorCon ticket. All right. So let's talk about Catherine Parr. Of course, there's the very famous story that many of us have heard of how she nearly met a similar fate as Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Um, the brief rundown is was 1546, the conservative court faction which was led by Stephen Gardner, Bishop of Winchester, and Thomas Risley, England's Lord Chancellor, were planning to strike against Catherine. They kind of exploited Henry's annoyance with her outspoken nature to get his approval to issue a warrant for her arrest on charges of heresy. A friendly courtier tipped her off about the plot, which of course made her very nervous. She was able to get to Henry, which was you know something that it seemed like the wives, when wives were in trouble or anybody was in trouble, if they were able to talk to Henry, they could usually sort things out. That was one reason for keeping Anne Boleyn apart from him and not letting messages go through because he was so changeable that if somebody got to him, he would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so Catherine was lucky enough to get to him. She smoothed things over with this famous story about how she said she just wanted to learn from his wisdom, and she was just engaging in debate and offering different viewpoints because she wanted to distract him from his physical discomfort and his pain. And of course, then there's the funny story about how this reconciliation did not reach Lord Risley in time, and he arrived with armed guards to arrest Catherine while she was taking a walk with the king, and the king in turn made a big deal out of scolding him and dismissing him and the plot was foiled. So that is the brief story of Catherine Parr's brush with the tower and potentially worse. So let's talk about Catherine Parr. She was born in 1512. She didn't have the privilege of a royal upbringing and yet she was a very successful queen consort from 1543 to 1547. She also served as a regent when Henry was away in France fighting his last battle in in Bologna. And actually, the only other wife who had ever been given that position was was Catherine of Aragon, also when Henry was fighting in France. So that was a, a pretty special distinction that she had. She was, of course, a dedicated wife. She was a good stepmother. She built bridges between people she was also a force to be reckoned with. She was a woman of profound spiritual intensity, and she had very passionate religious and personal beliefs. And yet it's interesting that, you know, compared to Anne Boleyn or Catherine of Aragon, there's not this sort of same fascination with Catherine Parr. She often gets relegated, like I said, to this role of nursemaid. And also, that period during Henry's reign doesn't seem to be as popular. The There's the kind of cascade of intense personal, political, and religious events that characterize the first three decades of Henry's rule. And that has left an indelible mark on our perception of the era overshadowing interest in the later years. And our understanding of Catherine has been shaded by the known facts about Henry's health, which, like I said, caused many people to sort of undervalue her influence, showing her as a caregiver. Historians now are starting to dig deeper and look at her story again and show us the other side of Catherine, introducing us to a vivacious, intelligent woman with a fondness for luxury dance music. She enthusiastically participated in and championed religious reform, She was an academic. She was the first English woman to write and publish her own works under her own name. And of course, she had a profound influence on her stepchildren's lives and perspective. So Catherine Parr's family was actually very involved in the court life of young Henry VIII. Her father, Thomas, was an insider in the king's circle. Her mother, Maude, was a dear friend and lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon and her uncle William Parr held the position of Chamberlain in the household of Henry's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Richmond. At 17, Catherine walked down the aisle with Sir Edward Burr, but Edward's death in 1533, four years later, ended the union. A little over a year later, she married again, twice widowed John Neville, Baron Latimer, a member of the powerful Neville family from the north. And she had now ascended to a position of prominence and sway. She was, you know, in her early 20s at that point. The loyalty of the Latimer family was put to the test during the 1536 rebellion, the Pilgrimage of Grace, which sparked in Yorkshire before spreading across the country, especially in the north. Catherine had experienced firsthand the chaos of religious insurrection when a mob of religious dissenters pillaged their home, and kidnapped Latimer, her husband, hoping to pressure him into supporting their cause. They even went so far as to hold Catherine and her stepchildren hostage at Snape Castle, threatening to slaughter the family if Latimer refused to fall in line. This must have been petrifying for her. Can you imagine? She was still very young in her early to mid-twenties, being held hostage with her stepchildren while her husband's away, this kind of mob holding her The threats never materialized into violence. Latimer found it wise to make frequent appearances at court with Catherine to demonstrate their unwavering loyalty to the crown. Probably a very good move on his part. They were married for almost 10 years, but then his health took a downturn towards the end of 1542. And by February 1543, just a month before his death, Henry emerged on the scene as a prospective suitor. Henry, the king, was now in his 50s, two decades older than Catherine. And this is the part that gets complicated because she had already given her heart to Thomas Seymour, the dashing Thomas Seymour, charmer, the brother of Jane Seymour, Henry's third wife. The two were already envisioning a shared future once Latimer was out of the picture. Yet at this point, Henry was set on winning the beautiful Catherine to be his wife. He saw her as a sort of buy one, get one, buy one, get everything. She would be his queen. She would also be his partner in his interest. She could be a a love interest. She could also be a wife. And she would provide a motherly love to his children. And also, he probably hoped to have more children with her as well, because she was young enough that she still could have had children. So this sort of determination, his wooing of her, uh, sort of put an end to the relationship between Catherine and Thomas. And she saw her duty to step up and to engage in the relationship with Henry. So they were married in July of 1543, witnessed by Henry's three children, Edward, Mary, and Elizabeth. After Henry VIII died in 1547, there are letters that she wrote to Thomas Seymour that show the emotional whirlwind she was going through. Even though she was resigned to the part that she had to play and this kind of destiny that she saw for herself, It still was pretty much of a a whirlwind for her. She wrote, As truly as God is God, my mind was fully bent the other time I was at liberty to marry you before any man I knew. Howbeit, God withstood my will therein most vehemently for a time, and through his grace and goodness made me to renounce utterly mine own will and follow his most willingly. And it seems as if Catherine Parr very sincerely believed that her ascension as a queen was ordained by God that this was her mission. She had now a spiritual mission and this was going to be her role. But it does seem like early on she and Henry had a good relationship. They seemed to have even some physical attraction between the two of them and they seemed to have a bond that was you know maybe not as strong obviously as what he had with Anne or as passionate but something that just seemed to fit and to fit them both. She adopted the motto to be useful in all I do, and this was something that she carried out absolutely during her time as queen. She secured the esteem of the court, much like Catherine of Aragon had done. She tried to solidify the bonds between Henry and his children. She knew when it was best to yield to Henry. She was known for her vivacious spirit and her love for music, dance, fashion, and jewelry and she nurtured a growing passion for religious reform and harnessed her royal status to advance it. Her private quarters at court were transformed into a space where lively theological discussions took center stage. She welcomed leading reformers to give sermons, and she encouraged the exploration of evangelical texts. In her belief, the scriptures were the sole authoritative text for the Christian faith. And in 1544, she released an English translation of Latin psalms under the cloak of anonymity. There was a very positive response to this, and Henry apparently trusted her, as illustrated when he named her regent, encouraging Catherine to continue her work. So then in 1545, she wrote Prayers or Meditations, which was a compilation of English devotional texts, which showed her determination to publicly advocate for religious reform. But as Henry's reign was waning and there was this sort of struggle for power over who was going to take over once he passed, there were these deep political factions and policy turned increasingly unpredictable. Plus, the king was often back and forth, hot and cold, and politics would shift according to his whims. The conservative factions at court were doing their utmost to reclaim whatever religious authority they could muster. And Catherine became a target when her religious views began to echo beyond her private chambers. She loved having the opportunity to talk politics with her husband, to talk about theology. Of course, Henry was very learned in this kind of stuff. We forget how he had had this strong education, this strong humanist education. He was very interested in in all of this. So they would have these deep discussions and she would frequently advocate for him to pursue the path that he had started when he severed ties with Rome to wed Anne Boleyn, of course that had been fourteen, fifteen years before, and since then there was a lot of backing and forthing. If you listen to my episodes I did on the Reformation during Reformation Month in October twenty seventeen, the five hundredth anniversary of the Reformation, I did a couple of episodes, and there were there were a lot of changes under Henry, in that in the in the late fifteen thirties and fifteen forties where one side would gain ground and so there were things put into doctrine and then the other side would gain get ground and things would t- be taken out and at this point Henry was executing catholics as well as protestants kind of equally and actually Catherine's story is linked with Anne Askew which we'll talk about in a little bit as well so it was really hard to tell who was in charge and who you know where the king stood with all of this kind of stuff so having all of these discussions was definitely a misjudgment on her part Henry's stand against the papacy was primarily politically motivated but he was of course fundamentally conservative in his religious beliefs and he did not have the patience to be you know lectured on this type of thing his growing annoyance gave the conservative faction the opening that they needed to move against Catherine and her circle until finally Catherine herself was warned that an arrest warrant sanctioned by the king had been drafted against her this was a crisis obviously and the strategy that she adopted saved her life she found henry she looked for him she found him and you know she was just having a discussion with him and then they started veering into the direction of religion and she didn't engage in the debate, but instead she withdrew, and she admitted that her views were mostly those of a humble woman, and it was more fitting that she should let herself be guided by her husband, a prince of excellent learning and wisdom, and she said that she thought Henry maybe misunderstood the liberty that she had taken when she was debating with him, saying that she only ever entered into these discussions to learn from him, and to hope that they might serve as a diversion from his ailments and his discomfort. By the time that conversation ended, she had struck all the right chords, and she and the king had reconciled. But the king's council didn't realize this, and so they burst in on the royal couple the following day, planning to arrest her, and they were met with a harsh rebuke from Henry in full view of all of the court. So thus, in a very public manner, Henry reaffirmed his authority over his wife and his counselors. Catherine Parr's brush with heresy charges was actually part of a larger plot connected to the fate of Anne Askew. This link was particularly manipulated by the conservative faction at court to try to destabilize Catherine and her influence. So, Anne was an outspoken proponent of the Protestant Reformation and was known to have connections with some of the ladies at Catherine Parr's court. She was arrested and tortured. She's racked, I think she is the only woman ever to have been recorded as being racked in the tower. And she was eventually executed for heresy in 1546. Some historians have said that these harsh measures against her were partly intended to intimidate the Protestant faction at Henry's court, including Catherine Parr. When Askew was arrested and tortured, her interrogators attempted to extract a confession implicating Catherine Parr and other ladies of the court as fellow heretics. Although Askew is known to have resisted these efforts, it was a very dangerous situation for Catherine, who had been vocal about her own Protestant sympathies. These events formed part of the backdrop to the warrant for Catherine's arrest. Catherine was savvy enough to sort of bide her time before she resumed her advocacy for her religious cause. She didn't have to wait long, though, because Henry's health took a downturn in 1546, and he died in January of 1547. So Catherine was now the queen dowager. She led the nation in mourning she had outlived Henry and navigated her own survival with remarkable astuteness. But throughout it all, there was only this one man who managed to tap into her impetuous side, the man who would ultimately mar her reputation for centuries, and that was her fourth husband, Thomas Seymour. We don't know exactly when Catherine and Thomas got married, But their union brought up a big scandal at court and strained her relationship with her stepchildren, especially Princess Mary, because the mourning period was cut so short. There are letters back and forth between Mary and Elizabeth about how do they each feel about all of this. And, you know, it was hard for them. I can imagine their dad just died and their stepmother's getting married right away. And it must have been kind of tricky. And especially Mary idolized her father in many ways, despite what he had done to her mother. so And I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to try to analyze that. But between Catherine being a Protestant and then remarrying so quickly, Mary was not a fan. And sadly for Catherine, her life post-Henry wasn't as happy as she might have imagined that it would have been. Seymour was driven by ambition. He was somebody who was quite reckless and there was a whole scandal when he was accused of very, very, very inappropriate conduct towards Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth, when Princess Elizabeth had been living with them at Sudley Castle. This scandal caused significant tension between the couple. They appeared to patch things up. And then in late 1547, Catherine got pregnant and she gave birth on August 30th, 1548, to a girl. They named her Mary at Sidley Castle, but she passed away shortly after, just a few days later, probably of childbed fever, and she was about 35 or 36 when she passed away. One interesting thing about Catherine Parr is that after she passed, her dedication to religious reform became even more evident. Her funeral was the first English Protestant burial. So this kind of cemented her position in the Chronicles of the English Reformation. Catherine's life was filled with passion, with controversy, with huge events like pilgrimage of grace and intrigue. But her narrative often gets overlooked, overshadowed by the influential men in her life. Thank goodness there's this new movie. I can't wait to see it. And there's a lot of new scholarship going on about Catherine Parr that is helping to sort of reclaim her reputation and reclaim her name and bring out this vivacious person who is so much more than just a nursemaid. So go Catherine Parr. All right. We are going to end it there. Remember to learn more about TudorCon and reserve your spot with the Early Bird discount. I'm not sure if I mentioned that earlier. You can enter coupon code Early Bird when you sign up to save $10 off the price. I might have mentioned it. I'm not sure if I did, but here we are if I didn't. So englandcast.com slash online, enter code EARLYBIRD to save $10. If I didn't mention it before and you're hearing it now, then yay, you, you win for listening to the whole thing. Hooray! Good things come to people who listen to the whole episode. <laughs> I will talk with you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time we talk, keep questioning, keep learning, and always stay curious and kind. I will speak with you soon. Thank you so much, my friends. Have a wonderful day. Blow northern wind Blow northern wind. Blow blow blow.